0: Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Today we're at episode number 119, and I'm calling it The Invisible Gimba. I'll be talking with Sam Yankelevich, author of the book Walking the Invisible Gimba. The gimbo is a Japanese word for the workplace. Sam is an expert in finding and removing sources of waste in global supply chains, where waste is rooted in communication, distance, and culture. And I'm now joined by Sam Yankelevich, who's the author of Walking the Invisible Gamba. Good morning, Sam.
1: Hey, good morning, Charles. Thank you very much for this opportunity.
0: Hey, it's great to have you on. So we're going to talk a little bit about your books today. Uh, Why did you want to write uh, this book, Walking the Invisible Gamba?
1: Right. So, uh, well, Charles, you know, I'm a former global operations executive. And, um, as, as I, as I saw from your experience in uh, global operations and, and being out there, uh, many of uh, the problems that we see are hidden. I mean, you start, um, seeing these issues about communication, culture and distance between people. Um, nonetheless, they're real, but we don't seem to pay a whole lot of attention to them. Um, and as I, as I became a writer, now a trainer and a consultant, um, trying to stay relevant and aware of what's going on, I still see uh, a lot of these issues, even in local situations, not only in the global situations, where a lot of hidden sources of problems uh, are are present, and we're just not surfacing them. We're not bringing them to the surface to really then nip them in, in the butt and do something about them. And so. This is one of the reasons I sat down to write about these topics, uh, originally about lean communication, but then I've expanded into other issues, you know, that, that are, that are also, uh, sources of, uh, variation in our, uh, operations. So, uh, and we need to do that. You know, the reason we need to do that is because, I mean, every, every problem has to be solved. Otherwise they just get bigger and they repeat. You start seeing the same issues over and over. So, um, I wrote the book pretty much to bring that to uh, people's awareness, especially because from experience, you know, we typically are seeing the physical processes and these processes that are visible really keep most and take most of our attention up. And that doesn't mean that those other ones don't exist and that we have to do something about them.
0: Yeah, I think the invisible part of this is that it's outside of your own shop. It's out... It's out in the world of somebody else's shop, basically. Uh, right, right. It's invisible because it's outside of your culture and it's into somebody else's. Group. And so we we meet Mr. Onada in the book. Uh, right. And I think he appeared in one of your earlier books. And to me, he was sort of a um, you know we join him when he's giving a workshop in uh, uh, with with many attendees, and he's sort of the guru of, of sorts. So tell us a little bit more about Mr. Onada and, and how how he worked in the in the book.
1: Right. That's right. Yeah. So you mentioned that that came from a, a previous book of mine called Global Lean that was published back in 2016 by uh, Productivity Press. And in that book, I introduced Mr. Onada. At that point, he was a consultant for uh, a, lar- a large, a large family owned business that was in trouble because they went global and they had never really put to bed some of the problems they had internally that were hidden problems. And so the truth behind that is that I tried to bridge Mr. Onada from that book to the following book, which was the Walking the Invisible Gemba book. And really he is the embodiment of the many advisors and sensei that I've been able to be in front of. And quite honestly, you know, my work has not been in these huge companies that have unlimited resources that can hire uh, the biggest names in the industry. I've mostly been, been in, in the smaller and mid-sized companies. And so it's been, you know, these opportunities where I do meet some of these uh, great names and sensei that can actually mentor you and give you some advice on how to approach these invisible problems. And so I put all that together, a lot of the wisdom that I've uh, been fortunate to gather from these folks and put it all together into this one character that is Mr. Onada. And and uh and he, in this uh, Walking the Invisible Gemba book, yeah, he, like, as you mentioned, he is making a, a presentation and uh, the book really continues on and on based on questions that he's asked by the audience. And he shares his wisdom uh, with the audience. And through that is kind of the lessons that, that, that come out from the book.
0: Yeah, I think the, uh, he works very well in the, in the context of the book. And you're sort of drawn in to the way he's thinking about things. So let's get into what is the invisible gemba? It's a Japanese word, but uh, why should we walk it? And, and tell us a little bit more about what it is, really. Right,
1: right. So so the word gemba is a Japanese word. It means the place, uh, the real place where the action happens. Uh, we're often in the lean world, in the continuous improvement uh, world, we're often uh, taught to go out to the gemba to see reality and to really check for what is out of standard so that we can fix it. So, and by the way, in Japan, for example, the Gemba is also the scene of the crime, the scene of where the action is actually happening. And before you do that, before you, you know, if you don't go there, all you have is a bunch of opinions and people looking at data without really, you know, checking to see what's real and what's not. So for me, the invisible Gemba became that uh space that even when we go and walk the gemba the physical gemba place you know where things happen you can't see meanings being exchanged you can't see culture and how it's impacting how things get done and uh how it might impact your uh, actions and your results so that's the invisible gemba and really it's just about awareness that it's there and uh just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it's not impacting your results, you know? So this is this hidden variation that uh, that is out there that still uh, impacts all of our physical processes and yet we pay little attention to. That's the invisible Gemba.
0: Yeah, I think it uh, focuses in on the communication side of things. And communication tends to be sort of hidden, especially when you're not in the same place as the people you're talking to you're you're using phone lines or video chat or something Uh, and you're two different worlds basically and so i think you're focusing in on some kind of a transactional uh, process that uh, will help us make waste more visible in a sense and and to zero in on how to improve that process uh, That's right. Uh, yeah, you're you're an expert certainly in, in hidden waste in the global supply chains. Is this the most critical problem you see? Is this transi- this communication problem?
1: Well, uh, you know, depends how you look at it. You know, in the last in the past few weeks, we've seen a uh, you know several examples of where you have a ship that is stuck in the Suez Canal that is disrupting the supply chain. Uh, we recently had the cyber attack. Uh, on uh, on the fuel uh, lines uh, in Texas that affected the, all of the um, southeastern states and the pumping. Now we're hearing about cracks in a bridge in Memphis, Tennessee, that is impacting uh, as well supply chains. So there's a lot of, I would say, natural uh, and uh, man-made disasters that I still think are going to be uh, impacting our supply chains you know, and we have tsunamis and volcanoes. For me, the biggest issue surrounding this, how I see this, is the word uncertainty. You know, we live in a VUCA world where uncertainty is really one of the key items. And for me, if we don't pay attention to the communication portion of it, in other words, when things happen, how do we jump in to communicate, to mitigate the situation? And even before that, how are we as supply chain members communicating before that to establish some kind of a failure mode and effect analysis, looking at risk and seeing how uh, to mitigate these things. You know, the bottom line is the, that I think supply chains are so focused on efficiencies, we're still fighting about who's going to hold the, the, the uh, you know, the additional inventory uh, as backup to, uh, you know, to offset one of these situations. Nobody wants to pay for it because we're all focused on efficiencies. And then when the time comes and we're hit by these, um, sudden issues, we have fights as of, you know, who's, who's going to pay for this? Uh, who are we going to sue to, you know, to recover? And that's what we end up focusing on. And for me, it's really acknowledging that, that there's all these uncertainties in the supply chains, you know, and, uh, and by the way, for me, the Gemba, just as a as a as a key point the gemba for a lot of people used to be inside four walls inside your shop floor where you could actually get out of your office and walk the shop floor today's gemba is i think you hit the nail on the head charles it's the big supply chains it's the projects that go that go around that and all of these communication culture and distance issues are definitely a big uh, you know a big important factor that we need to uh in including the solutions to make sure that we don't you know that we're not in uh in deep doo-doo
0: yeah so when you have a uh, container ship stuck in the suez canal how do you walk that Gemba
1: oh exactly how do you walk that Gemba and I I've asked that quite often how do you walk your supply chain Gemba and and this is and by the way it's mentioned in um in a uh an a an article in AME um I think it's called, the magazine is called Target. I think that's what they published. And back in 2008, or maybe earlier, they talk about uh, this situation where all of our processes are now dispersed. And when you have all of these dispersed processes, you cannot walk them and you need communication, but not just, you need really effective, accurate, timely communication to be able to, uh, to get things to happen. And I think we're we're living this right now, where our our gemba really has become bigger than just a shop floor, so as you ask, how do you walk that and I think it's not feasible, and therefore communication has become a lot more important uh these days than than maybe we considered it was before,
0: yeah, well, you know, I think we're all influenced by our experience over the years um and so sort of what was the first thing that attracted you to the area? That, that reveal the invisible gimba. Ah, yeah, good question. I, I have to say, you know I, I, um, I'm uh, born in Colombia. So I
1: was born in Colombia, left at a very very early age and started traveling the world. I mean my family left. We first ended up in French Canada. After that we ended up in the Middle East. Then I studied in Texas at University of Texas at Arlington where I became an industrial engineer. And then I flew back after that when I graduated to uh, help manage the family business in Colombia, which was an industrial operation. And, and then after that, I started traveling to buy equipment, machinery, materials. So when you're, when you have this global perspective, and I think you've lived that as well, Charles, is uh, some things become extreme. So communication becomes very extreme because you have all these nuances, even though people speak English or even if you speak their language, everybody understands things in a different way. So I started finding that there was a lot of waste in communication, even, and I'm not talking about verbal communication. Uh, even when we were, we were. I mean, we had fax machines at one point in time before the internet, and we used to send prints and specifications for somebody to produce a piece of equipment or or some components, and it was never right. We couldn't even communicate via, you know, via uh, prints and uh, specifications. There, there was always that situation where miscommunication, misunderstandings created opportunities for waste. So I I left the industry back in 2013 um, when I was managing a, a German Tier 2 in an automotive company here in the U.S. in Greenville, South Carolina. And since then, it, you know, for me, it was even inside this company in the 21st century, we had all of these communication problems internally and with our suppliers, and all of these really accounted for a lot of the systemic uh, causes that kept on repeating problems. So when I, you know, when I left the industry, I started writing about this and, and blogging, and you know, um, uh, built a couple of LinkedIn Learning um, uh, courses. That are up on, that, on their library on, the, on LinkedIn that address this, you know, address this issue. And I guess the bottom line, or I guess in a nutshell, I might say that it's it's one of these things where from this from these extreme situations and global situations, I see that we never solved, you know, we haven't solved it then, and it's still in local situations very uh, prevalent that you see these uh, communication issues uh, pop up as as uh, sources of problems.
0: Yeah. You know, what I have come to believe is that all these various tasks that were differentiated and formed out to the global supply chain to make them, you know, nominally more efficient, uh, they create a problem when you have to take the outputs from those differentiated tasks and bring them back into the main supply chain. Because, as you say, um, you know, waste, waste comes from the lack of communication and, and the extreme distance and the cultural differences in in all of these um, uh, different areas. So when we have to bring these uh, tasks, the outputs from these tasks back into the main supply chain and then uh, make them integrated into that process in a way that gives them the most value for the end users, um, There are certain rigidities and everything that creep into the process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how that's how I see it as well.
1: Yeah. And you're right. I mean, how do you, you know, integrating them? And first, you really have to somehow make them visual, you know, make these things visible so that you can, you know, bring them into focus and make sure that everybody's actually including them in, in the in the processes. So that's exactly right. Yeah.
0: So are there other invisible waste out there that that we need to be aware of um, that uh, maybe it's the subject of your next book? I don't know. But uh...
1: yeah. Oh, you know, I don't uh, not so much the subject of my next book, but I, um, you know, I've been training companies now, um, both virtually and lately. I was able to get back out there. You know, I'm fully vaccinated now and was able to do some face to face training. And I'm finding one of those. I don't know if, if you can consider this one as hidden. But there's role confusion. Roles and responsibilities are not clearly defined in a lot of uh, the organizations I'm visiting, and people are subjected to work just based on a job description, and then when situations come up, uh, it's like, well, who's supposed to be fixing this? Who's responsible to solve this problem? And they, they're not doing the basic stuffs, you know, the basic uh, RACI, you know, the RACI uh, matrices or having conversations of you know, of of uh, who's, you know, who's responsible, who's accountable, who should be consulted and informed, and and I see that as a, a major source of variation in companies, um, and so I'm going to probably include that. I don't know if I'm going to write a book around that, but I am going to be doing some training around that and including that as one of the uh, uh, sources of uh, of variation for sure, because it's, uh, it's notorious, and I, you know, it's strange, because it's the 21st century, and you would think something as simple as, Doing your racy, which is a very basic meat and potatoes process. We really know who's on first, you know, and who's on second, and who should be doing this and that. Uh, but it's not happening. So definitely, that would be one of the other invisible sources of waste and variation that I'm that I'm seeing.
0: Yeah, let me let me ask you to explain racy a little bit more. A lot of our listeners are not uh right. dialed okay. into the equality uh, movement, uh, but they're. They're more generally focused. So tell us a little bit more about Okay.
1: It. Yeah, RACI is a, uh, I would call it a process uh, that will identify clearly for any task that has to be accomplished in interdependent situations, who is responsible, who are the people responsible for actually doing the task, Who is who needs to be informed, who needs to be consulted, And you always have to have somebody that is an accountable person. The buck stops here. And the interesting thing is when you're doing these Racy matrices to establish that, to make it clear for everybody, those conversations are enlightening. Because this is when just having the conversation, these things come up to the surface and say, oh, I didn't know that you did this. And, you know, just in the conversations, you really gain quite a bit. But that's what Racy is all about. It's really a very basic process. You can go into it very deep. Um, It works in project management, it works in operations,
0: and I'm sure that there's applications for it in the supply chain as well. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of our time here, but is there anything we haven't talked about that you'd like to leave us with?
1: Well, really just don't ignore these things. Take responsibility and ownership uh, at every level for these uh, invisible sources of waste, because if you don't, it's just going to get worse. Uh, And um, you know, I would, I would hate for folks to continue to experience uh, frustration and very high costs associated with these things without uh, paying attention to them. And uh, often people ask me, well, how do you get started? And I think that when you're doing your, what, I, what I'm, I mean, in my world, because it is a quality and um, continuous improvement world, we often tend to use the tools to do our con- uh, cause and effect analysis. And one of those tools that is very popular is the fishbone diagram. And if you just, anybody that is not in the trade, if you just Google fishbone diagrams, you'll understand how easy and visible uh, and visual these things are and how helpful these are to uh, to start naming the problems and start seeing what the potential contributing causes are. And what we do in, in our work or in my work, I go in there and add a bone on the fishbone to represent communication. And from there, break it down into smaller, bits and, you know, what exactly about communication might have contributed to your problem, and you start talking about the specific issues, and these could be language issues such as terms, idioms, or acronyms. You know, acronyms are horrendous uh, and very uh, risky uh, elements in, in our language that can create a lot of problems. So just, you know, start with the basics. Put those up on your fishbone diagrams. Use them in your, in your cause and effect analysis. Just be aware that they are sources and you should include them in your problem solving.
0: Yeah. Well, we've been talking about your latest book, Walking the Invisible Gimba. Uh, I know you have other books. Uh, how can our listeners find out more about uh, what you have out there?
1: I think the best way is to connect with me on LinkedIn. I am quite active on LinkedIn. Uh, I mentioned earlier I am a LinkedIn learning instructor. I have a, series of courses up there that are very related to this subject of uh, uh, communication, culture, problem solving in uh, interdependent situations. Uh, You can find my books on Amazon. If you just search my name, Sam Yankelevich, I have a website also, samyankelevich.com. You can find me there. And uh, I would love to connect and uh, start a conversation with any of you and address any uh, questions you might have.
0: Okay, great. I uh, will have some details in the show notes that uh, can guide folks out to uh, to some of that. Uh, Appreciate it. But it's been a great pleasure having you with us today, Sam. Uh, Thank you very much. Thanks so much for coming on. And that's about it for this episode. Join us again next time when we'll consider more stories about organizations and their performance not just for themselves, but for the common good. In the meantime, you can access all of our podcast episodes at our website, ajoe.com. And that's all. So long for now.